fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A wonderful Wednesday to you. I had to check to see what day it was. It is the 19th of April, 2023, and so happy that you're with me on this show. And you can call me right now, 888-914-9149. I'm bleary-eyed. I stayed up way too late last night. Uh, just depressed after my Maple Leafs got absolutely destroyed, struck by the lightning again. Uh, the series is young, though. And this show is young. Can't wait to talk to you about what we're going to talk about today, 888-914-9149. You can also email the show. And it's I'm actually going to talk about an article that was emailed to me. And in this case, it was sent to me by our good friend, Patrick Alog, who's actually working the phones tonight. 888-914-9149. If you send me an article and I use it on the show, if it makes the cut, I will give you a shout out on the national airwaves too. You can also tweet at me at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Follow me there. And what we're going to talk about today is, is intriguing to me because it's often been said that we're living in a post-Christian culture. We kind of alluded to this last week. A caller uh, and I were, were getting into this and it was, uh, it was intriguing. One of the things I mentioned is that the post-Christian society, quote unquote, looks an awful lot like the pre-Christian society of the Roman Empire around the time of the first proclamation of the gospel. So what we're going to be talking about today is that it's not always great to live in a post-Christian society for sure, but there, there are some benefits to it. We've got to look at the bright side. We've got to look at the glass being half full here because it offers a chance for people to look at the good news, to look at the gospel of Jesus Christ with fresh eyes and maybe a little bit more openness than people had in the past when it seemed to be more of a quote-unquote Christian, Judeo-Christian culture. So we're going to talk about that today on The Kale Clark Show, 888 The article in question that was sent to me by Patrick Alog, thanks for that, Patrick, was from Ross Douthat. Uh, writing in the New York Times, you probably have heard of this guy. He's a he's a pretty well known opinion writer. Has uh, written for the Times since two thousand and nine. Written a lot of books as well. Bad Religion. Uh, most recently, he's written a book called The Deep Places: A Memoir of Illness and Discovery. And he wrote a piece just a few days ago, kind of in in light of the Easter season. And it was called "A Naive Reading of the Gospels," maybe just what Christianity needs a naive reading of the Gospels. Now, what does he mean by that? What is he talking about, Ross Douthat? Well, he starts off by saying this, quote, In the not-so-distant past, when 90 or 95 percent of Americans identified as Christian, it was hard for almost anyone in that vast majority to read the Christian Gospels naively. In other words, to come to them without preconceptions in the way that their original intended audience would hear it. A person hearing the good news about Jesus of Nazareth for the first time. End of quote. Now it's and he he is right about that when he says that they heard the good news because very few people in the first century world would have a been able to get a hold of a copy of one of the gospels of their own or just even to to read it for for a brief period. Oh, can I borrow it from the local parish? 
but it would have been proclaimed, even if you could read it, you probably couldn't read it because most people didn't have the literacy, literacy skills for that. It doesn't mean that they weren't smart, but they would have had it proclaimed in worship at Mass. So they would have heard the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So that's the beginning of the gospel of Mark. And it would have been proclaimed in a way that you could hear it at worship. It's a little bit of a different experience. And sometimes it's good to actually hear the gospel proclaimed that way instead of, instead of reading it as we often do. It just kind of hits you a little bit differently. But when everybody encountered the gospel in the first century, it, it, it was kind of falling upon fresh ears, for the most part, in the Roman Empire. But today, as, as Ross Douth had explained in the New York Times, we, ha we have kind of become used to, at least you know, growing up, depending on how old you are, you're kind of familiar with the gospel. You read it maybe in Sunday school or, or heard it taught to you in Sunday school. Uh, maybe you've been a part of a Bible study at your local church. And of course, during the Mass, during the Divine Liturgy, the Scriptures being proclaimed. Uh, Protestant services, the same thing. There are Scriptures being read. And so it's really, really hard for a lot of Christians to separate the experience of church and the experience of the gospel. Of experiencing the gospel. But Ross Douthat says that with the rapid decline of institutional Christianity, all the younger generations in America have large numbers of people who only have what he calls vague and secondhand ideas about Jesus. Vague and secondhand ideas about what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote about. So it's going to be more normal, he says, in the culture for people to have what he calls a naive encounter with the New Testament. And, and that's, that's, that's actually really, really positive, I think, in some ways, because it will enable people to come to the gospel with fresh eyes, with fresh ears, with not as many preconceptions that people had in the past. So he says that people will experience the gospels as a form of testimony, as a form of proclamation, passionate proclamation. He calls it lapel-shaking proclamation. It's kind of like grabbing somebody by the shirt or by the jacket saying, you need to hear this. This is really, really crucial, really urgent. And so people will experience the Gospels that way. St testimony, telling stories about the life of Jesus. And that is a lot different from having what he calls a fully realized set of doctrines or vision of the church. A lot of people just aren't there yet. Now, he can't, he can't, Ross Douthat can't say what it's like to have this kind of a naive reading of Scripture because he grew up within Christianity, and he's a Catholic Christian right now. Many of us, the same. It's, we, we are not starting from square one, and sometimes that's an advantage, a big advantage, but sometimes it can be a disadvantage because Let's face it, a lot of people have gotten just enough of the faith that they've never caught the real thing. It's a little bit like being inoculated against a virus or a disease. You've got just enough of it that you haven't caught the real thing, but you think that you haven't. You think that you haven't. Now, we, one of the things he said in his article is that during Lent, especially in Holy Week, 
there's a really, really strong encounter with the gospel that we often don't get the rest of the year because let's face it, Palm Sunday, which is also known as Passion Sunday, you, you get the reading of the Passion from one of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, depending on the year. And then on Good Friday, you get it again. You get the Passion of Our Lord according to John. So there's a lot of scripture. And I remember when Bishop Donald Hying was on the show recently, we were talking about that. There's not as much preaching necessarily required or even desirable in a certain sense, because you hear a lot of scripture being proclaimed and it, and it tells the story itself in so many ways. And uh, Holy Saturday, the Easter vigil in the evening, that that is absolutely the pinnacle of liturgy for me. So many scripture readings from the Old and New Testament leading up uh, to the resurrection. And so I love that. I, I just, it's really something so we get we get to kind of experience that for ourselves as well just a lot of scripture being being read and what ross douthat's trying to say is that what's kind of cool about this is that it's it's a departure this idea of reading the scriptures as if for the first time is a refreshing change from what's been going on recently that the attempts to deconstruct the new testament there's been this quest and it kind of started in in the 18th century, continued into the 19th century and into the 20th century, even into the 21st century, this quest for what's called the historical Jesus, this idea of separating what people want to call the, the Jesus of history from the Christ of faith. Is that even possible? Well, there's only one Jesus. And Dr. Craig Evans, who was on the show last week, is one of the foremost scholars within the historical Jesus movement. And so... Ross Douthat says, basically, what, what's been going on with a lot of scholars who are anti-Bible or very skeptical of the New Testament, they want to try to tear it down. And they have a couple of assumptions, and these are the, these are the sort of skeptical scholars, not, not, not guys like Craig Evans, but guys like the Jesus Seminar. We, you talked about them, John Dominic Cross and the ex-Catholic priest. They have an assumption. They have an assumption that the Gospels are factually inerrant. And they're, they're not perfectly historical. Uh, they're not accurate in every detail. They're not pellucid. Uh, he, he used that word pellucid. I had to look that up. That, that was a new word on me by Ross Douthat. And uh, he had his thesaurus, his thesaurus handy. And I had to look it up. And that word pellucid means translucently clear. That's a pretty cool word. I like that. And so these guys who want to deconstruct the, the Gospels, tear them apart, they also try to look at problems in the texts, apparent contradictions, maybe some mistakes in the text. And, and they say, well, all of this kind of points to their theory that the Gospels were composed way, way, way after the life of Jesus, very late they're not really historical records of the life of Christ. They don't have much of a connection to the events that they're talking about. That's the deconstructionist view of the Gospels. But Ross Douthat says that this naive reading of the Gospels can be a good thing because people in the culture who don't have much of a background in the faith are coming from an irreligious point of view. We know that the quote-unquote nuns, N-O-N-E-S, are on the rise, those who have no religious affiliation, when those people get a hold of the Gospels for the first time and have this naive reading of them, he says it breaks apart these arguments because when 
even if somebody has no background in Bible study, they've never read it before, when they read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're going to notice some things. And you don't have to be a professional Bible scholar to notice some things, that there are differences in the Gospels, that the timelines are a little bit different. Some of the details are a little bit different. Let's look at the Gospel of John, for example. Jesus drives the money changers out of the temple precincts early, like right at the beginning of the Gospel of John. But if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it happens at the end during Holy Week, right before the crucifixion. So when did it happen? Did it happen at the start? Did it happen at the end? Did he do it twice? Maybe he never did it at all. This is what the deconstructionists want to say. But is that what's really going on here? Uh, here, Here's what I think. I think John just simply arranged, the thing happened, but he places it at the beginning of of the gospel. I think it probably happened during Holy Week, but he moves it around. He's not inventing it, but he's just simply selecting from material um, and he's kind of moving the blocks around, if you will. And, and, and he's not, you're not free to, to create out of whole cloth things that, from the life and career of Jesus. That's not what good students of Jesus, what good disciples would do. But he's simply for emphasis, for the way he wants to get the story of Christ across. He's moving the historical pieces around, maybe out of chronological order, in order to make a point. And so... That's what I think it's really all about. And this is what Ross Douthat says. He says, quote, whether or not it's possible to resolve some of these issues, they present themselves directly to the reader. They don't require any special training to pick up. The naive reader will also intuitively understand, without needing to be historically aware of the details, debates about Jesus' identity that consumed the early church. The Gospels all present him as the Messiah, clearly. But the question of what that actually means is not completely or even consistently answered in an initial reading of the text, end of quote. So what's he basically saying there? He's basically saying that the Gospels tell us a lot about Jesus, but not all that we would like to know about him. They don't fill in all of the blanks. And in fact, as John says at the end of his Gospel, Jesus did many other things. And if they were all written down, that's a very hyperbolic comment, If they were all written down, even the whole world would not be able to contain all the books that would be written. And so there's some stuff that didn't make it in. And reading through the the Gospels of the New Testament, you're not going to find out a lot of things about Jesus that you would like to know. And most of the false teachings that were out there in the world in the early church, most of the early heresies were all about the person of Jesus Christ. Is he 100% God? Is he... 100% human? Is he 50-50? A little bit of both? What's the correct answer? Well, the correct answer, he's fully God and fully man, 100%, 100%. Does Jesus have a human soul? I mean, questions like this you can't get from the text alone. Is God a trinity of persons? This is why Jesus established a teaching church with a magisterium, a church with a magisterium. That means a teaching office. It comes from a fancy Latin word, magister, which means teacher. So the false teachers, they all taught wrong things about who Jesus Christ was. And it was necessary to get that straightened out. And that's what the church did through her early councils, for example, like the Council of Nicaea. So you need more than just the text. You need more than just what's written on the page. You need the right interpretation of the text. And so that's a really important thing.
uh, to know. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Here's a question I want to throw out there, and you can call in if you're uh, in this boat. If you are a convert to the faith, maybe you just got baptized at the, at the Easter Vigil this year. If you're a recent convert, convert in the past, if you came from a background that was irreligious, if you were one of the quote-unquote nuns, if you had no religious background, if you had a pagan background, maybe you came from another religion, when you found out about Jesus for the first time, when you read the Gospels, maybe for the first time, maybe you had this sort of naive reading. I don't have any preconceptions about this. I don't really have any background on this. I'm just reading this. What did you think about it? Was this the strangest story that you've ever heard? Uh, was it easier to accept it because you didn't have any quote-unquote inoculation against the gospel? 888 I'd really love to hear from you on the Cale Clark Show. 888 And so... I think we'll just we're going to take a quick break right here. We're going to come back to this. We're going to talk about more about this fresh reading of the gospel. The fact that we're living in a post-Christian society that might actually be, in some ways, good for evangelization because people might take Jesus at his word. They might look at the gospels a little bit more openly. Let's say triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Scale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the toll-free number to call to talk to me for free. I asked you guys before the break, if you came into the church from a a non-Christian background, maybe you had no religious formation growing up, maybe you're one of the quote-unquote nuns, N-O-N-E-S, who really kind of were coming in with a blank slate, maybe that was a good thing when you read the Gospels for the first time, had no preconceived notions and didn't have an agenda necessarily, just kind of let it speak to you. And Ross Douthat in the New York Times wrote a piece about that, about how reading the Gospels sort of naively um, can actually, which, which is the case for a lot of people now, because religion is falling apart in, in the United States for sure. And uh, people do not identify as religious as much as they used to. And so you're going to get a lot of situations going forward where people are encountering this stuff for the first time. And it's a lot like it was in the early church. Was this your situation? If so, I want to hear about it. 888-914-9149. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Joe in Phoenix. Hi, Joe. Hi, Kale. Thanks for taking my call. And listen, you know, my background was Protestant raised, but I will tell you what was so unique about your question was Hmm. the fact that you said, how did it affect you reading the Gospels? And what is amazing is I was welcomed to the church on Easter Vigil. So I got baptized and, and became a, you know, an official Catholic as of Easter Vigil. And wow. it has just been amazing experience. But what has been the most powerful thing has been the way my eyes have been opened to the Gospels and the truth of Christ in the Catholic way. It, hmm. is, it has transformed every fiber of my being. When I read the most simple John 3.16, it's like, wait. I never read it like this before. Hmm. Do you realize what this means? And so it really has made me a new believer in Christ just from coming to the Catholic faith and getting the actual, what I call the truth, you know, the actual truth of the gospel message. And so I just wanted to share my experience with that. 
Well, Joe, we, we share your excitement. And first of all, welcome home into the Catholic Church. And yeah, when you, when you read the Bible through Catholic glasses, as it were, it, it does make a bit of a difference because no matter what your background is, we're all reading the same text, Catholics and Protestants and Orthodox Christians as well. They all have the same number of New Testament books, 27. But but the question is, what, what do these words mean? Everybody has to do some interpreting that requires these lenses that you put on. And as one person once said, hey, what makes the Catholic glasses different from reading the Bible through Baptist glasses or Anglican glasses, Episcopalian, uh, Pentecostal glasses? Hey, well, the Catholic glasses are actually the original pair. One could say that. And that's not being triumphalistic. It's, it's just we're very humbly submitting that for consideration that we are the true Pentecostal church born on Pentecost, of course. And so go back to the time of Christ still exists today. As Jesus promised in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And so Jesus had to have instituted a teaching church because he, he would have foreseen that there was, there were going to be a lot of divisions, a lot of strife over a lot of different things going forward. And so that's why he set up a church, uh, he didn't necessarily just drop a book into the world and, and just leave it there and say, have a free-for-all, guys. It's not how it was set up. It's a lot like um, the Supreme Court in, in the United States interpreting the Constitution. They're the official interpreter. And so that's that's a really important point, Joe. And yeah, verses like John three sixteen being born again, what does that really mean? Well, that's a reference to, of course, baptism, being born of water and the Spirit. And that's the only way it was ever interpreted before the Protestant Revolution took place in the 16th century. And afterwards, you see these differing takes on it. And so thank you so much for calling in, Joe. Really appreciate that comment. Really glad to hear from you in Phoenix, Arizona. Let's go to the Lone Star State now. Let's go to Jessica in Texas. Hi, Jessica. Hi. Uh, I was wanting to answer your question I, uh, about, like, what was it like? Hmm. Um, um, and uh, for me, I wasn't really religious at first. I didn't grow up in a religious family. They were kind of new of God, but mm -hmm. I didn't have anyone to teach me. And uh, my mom got baptized, but she didn't really follow, you know, everything. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I recently got baptized myself, and because I wanted to, I always felt like his presence, but I didn't really know God or anything. I, mm. I didn't read the Bible much. And then after I got baptized, I started, like, reading more about him. And then I had a couple things happen, and I met someone who's teaching me now about it more, that she's okay. Catholic, and she's really awesome. And oh, uh, I didn't, yeah, and uh, she's a great person. I didn't really understand, though, Jesus until her. And, like, when I started reading the Bible about all the things he could do, and it's really amazing. And I understand, like, why people love him now. <laughs> Oh, that, that's that's such a beautiful phone call, Jessica. I'm so glad that you called in to say that. And it's true. It, we, and you've got a friend who's Catholic who's helping to explain the scriptures to you. And we all need that. That's that's even talked about in the Bible in the Acts of the Apostles. There's Philip, and then there's the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's he's up in his chariot and he's he's reading. He's the finance minister of Ethiopia, and he's reading the scriptures. And Philip says, "Hey, do you understand what you're reading?" And he says. How can I, unless someone explains it to me? It's because some of the stuff isn't that clear. And so he goes on to tell him about Jesus Christ and how he's proclaimed in the scriptures. And then, of course, he is baptized. And this guy is so thankful 
and so joyful. And I can hear that joy in your voice, Jessica. And I encourage you also, if you, if you, I can also try to be a friend and help to, we're all on a journey of trying to understand the scriptures together. And that's what I try to do on the Faith Explained program, which is the other show I host on Relevant Radio, 1230 Central. You can catch it live or the podcast anytime on the Relevant Radio app. And it's all about explaining scripture, helping the scriptures be our guide uh, as we go through this journey uh, from conception to Christ. That's what it's all about and trying to get to know him better. So Jessica, thank you so much. God bless you for calling in. Call back anytime. So good to hear that phone call. Let's go now to Minnesota, Edgardo in Minnesota. Welcome to the program, Edgardo. Hey, thank you so much for taking my call. So yeah. I want to share about, I want to share with you my experience with the gospel because sure, I started do. reading them. <laughs> yes. I started reading them when I was a Jehovah's Witness. And, oh. um, and I, and every time <clears throat> I will read them, I will I will see and see proofs that Jesus is not God. I will read the scriptures like uh, John fourteen twenty eight saying uh, the Father is greater than I. I will read uh, uh, tons of tons of scriptures where Jesus is talking in his humanity, and I will always interpret them as you see Jesus is not God. It's, mm. it's so clear. He worships God. He uh, he talks about him. He says all his power and everything that he has comes from God, all his words, all his message. Um, but the fact it is that I, I will always interpret it like that because Jehovah's Witness, we completely ignore the Christian tradition and mm-hmm. uh, you start reading it and, and with this uh, with this presupposition that God can be just one person. So you see uh, many times in the Gospels that Jesus is the Son of God and since you have this presupposition that God is just one person, and you say, oh, okay, then Jesus is not God, he's the Son of God. And, uh, but, but then, what I started doing, uh, thanks be to God, I started reading the Church Fathers, and mm, it, impressed wow. me how, I, it, uh, it impressed me how they will talk about, the, about Jesus, how high. And of course, when you, uh, many of them directly, like Ignatius of Antioch, mm-hmm. calls Jesus our yeah. God. Absolutely. And, uh, Yes, and, and also when I was the Jehovah's Witness, I would read John, and it would make me very confused. You know, John 1-1, one, one, yeah. uh, the Word was God, or John 20, 28, where Thomas called Jesus my Lord and my God. And I, will get, I will always get very confused about the Scriptures, but I wouldn't get with too much importance. But now that I, now that I became Catholic at this Easter video, um, I'm so thankful with God to see it, and I'm so thankful that I can pray to Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. And yeah. oh, oh, I, wow. I think, yeah, I think having a good understanding of the incarnation and how that two mm-hmm. natures of Jesus' work help with a lot of those uh, scriptures. Yeah, Edgardo, thank you so much for calling in and sharing your story, and I think for for, for folks listening who, who may be cradle Catholics out there, it's very easy to take this stuff for granted. And uh, there was a time in your life when you belonged to the uh, group known as the Jehovah's Witnesses. And it might have been shocking for some people to hear you say this, Edgardo, but they do not teach that Jesus is God. In fact, they think that Jesus is St. Michael the Archangel. Now, we could go into that. I don't really have the time to get into it right now, but I did do a series of programs on The Faith Explained about Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, what these groups believe. Uh, neither one of these groups are Christian groups. They don't believe in the divinity of Christ. And so 
what they don't believe in the Trinity. They're not Trinitarian. And so John 1, 1, that's a great example because the Jehovah's Witnesses have their own Bible. It's called the New World Translation. They came up with their own translation. And we know that in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In their translation, it says the Word was a God. And it's, it's, there are all kinds of situations like that where, where the text is massaged, if you will, uh, to fit their, their doctrines. And so um, I, I'm so glad that you, you've come into the, into the Catholic Church. And, and you mentioned the early church fathers, really important. St. Ignatius of Antioch, one of my absolute favorites. He's a problem. When, you, when, you, when people who are not Catholic read the writings of these guys, and Ignatius was a disciple of the Apostle John himself, when he was younger, he learned at the feet of John, who learned at the feet of Jesus. He was right next to our Lord at the key moments of his life. Um, and so he knew what, what John really meant by the Eucharist and, and, and all kinds of different things, like the papacy is mentioned in his writings, uh, the divinity of Christ, you alluded to that. So I encourage everybody to read the writings of St. Ignatius of Antioch, seven letters that he wrote on the way to his martyrdom in the Roman Colosseum in 107 AD. You can find them on Google. They're everywhere. And so this idea, yeah, that the church fathers, they really are the most dangerous men in all of Christianity because when you read them, you understand that the early church was the Catholic church. Catholic beliefs are just shot through. And so these are a lot of stuff that isn't mentioned in the New Testament is fleshed out a little bit more in their writings in terms of how the early church actually worshiped. And so Without, a, without a, a magisterium, without a teaching office, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to. And there was the renegade Bishop Arius, who started out Catholic, became the worst heretic in the history of the church, and basically taught that Jesus was not God. And he used the scriptures to back up his claims, and he was very eloquent and got over half of the church's bishops to go along with him. and almost destroyed the entire church. And so, thankfully, the Orthodox Church, uh, excuse me, the Orthodox faith um, prevailed in the church, and... This is part of God protecting uh, the truth in the church. And, and so, Edgardo, welcome home. So glad that you also came into the church uh, at the Easter Vigil. Hopefully, I think it was this year by the sounds of it, but thank you for calling and call back anytime. Let's go now to Boston. We're all over the, the country today. Let's go to Frank in Boston. Hi, Frank. Hey, Kale. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks um, for calling. Good. Yeah, no, I was listening to the show um, this afternoon, uh, as usual. Very good. Um, hey, I belong to um, a few men's groups here, men's mm -hmm. prayer groups. Mm -hmm. And um, a couple of weeks ago, um, do you remember the um, the scripture reading uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians? Does that ring a bell at all? Well, um, yeah, I, I, I am a huge fan of First Corinthians, one of my favorite New Testament books. Yeah, was there okay. something in there that, that kind of struck you or... Yeah, so the reading was, um, um, it was First uh, Corinthians, the second uh, chapter where Paul mm -hmm. um, be, uh, begins his proclamation. And, um, and in that group, I, I made a, it, it's, uh, this conversation is kind of relevant to um, the, the New York Times article you had mentioned. Uh -huh. Yeah. And uh, I made a comment in the group that, you know, the moment we try to intellectualize uh, Christ, his story, his purpose, who he is, we lose it. We lose it when we try to intellectualize it because it's not meant to be so much intellectualized as uh, read with the human heart. And and so if I could um, just to mention here a couple of things from Corinthians, um, Paul says here at the beginning of chapter two, um, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not 
come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words mm-hmm. or wisdom. Um, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so what he says is, um, so that your faith may rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, among, yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of the age who are doomed to perish, but we speak God's wisdom secret and hidden. So uh, there it is there, I think, that you can't use the, the so much the, uh, the, the education of this world to understand Christ, okay? And you, you, you just need to, you need to understand it with a, a deeper way of understanding. And he says here in, in 14, those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And I think that's the key. If you try to intellectualize Christ, you don't, you lose your spiritual discernment. And, well, and I, it just I, Frank, Frank, I, I got I to disagree with you a little bit on that. I, I, I see where you're coming from there. And, and yeah, Paul, Paul does, does say that, but if you read his, his, his other letters, especially his letter to the Romans, he does lay out quite a powerful uh, intellectual and, and scriptural case for the faith. And uh, he's certainly a very, very intelligent guy, and he brought all of his gifts to bear uh, when he became a follower of Jesus to, to explain, to demonstrate, to prove that he is the Messiah. But there's no question that intellect alone is not going to get you there. You also need faith. You need faith and reason. We, we talked about recently on the show, Fides et Ratio, uh, John Paul the Great's great encyclical letter. He said you really need both wings to fly. And so faith alone is not going to get you there. Reason alone is not going to get you there. But we can use both to find God. But Christ is, is the one who gives us this gift. He comes to us. He comes in search of us. And, and people tried to find God intellectually. They've tried to find God by looking within. But he has come to us. And it's it's really important to to understand that. And it's true that intellect alone is not going to, even if you intellectually know things about Christ, that doesn't mean that you're in. <laughs> As James says in his letter, hey, so you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Great. So do the demons. You know, they know the truth, but they're not obedient to it. So that, that's that's a really, really important factor. And and somebody can be the most eloquent preacher in the world, but if the Spirit does not move the person's heart to, to take that step of faith and, and grab hold of that for themselves, it's, it's going to be ultimately of no avail. And so it's, it's a complicated question for sure. And certainly the, the way things unfolded with Christ with a crucified Messiah, that wasn't really what anybody was expecting. Certainly wasn't what the Romans were expecting, the pagan Romans uh, that is the worst thing that could happen to you in the Roman Empire. How can you say that I should trust my life to this guy? Uh, he, he suffered the extreme penalty. And that didn't seem appropriate to them and, and to the Jews as well. The idea that the Messiah would, would lose his life in this way, that, that was not what most people were expecting of the Messiah. Now, later on, of course, it, it was there. It was there all along in the Old Testament, but just like on the road to Emmaus, Christ had to open the minds of his disciples to understand what the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, were really saying about him. The suffering servant from Isaiah, for example, I'm sure that was one of the things they talked about. All of that was there, but 
it's only sort of, you can only see it almost in hindsight in, in a certain sense. But really uh, interesting phone call, Frank, and I encourage you to to keep going and keep keep studying. And uh, I did do First Corinthians as well on the Faith Explained a while back. Uh, hopefully it's still in the archives. I, I find that just a fascinating letter on so many levels. Hey, we got to take a quick break right now on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Keep your calls coming. We're coming back talking about what it's like to encounter the gospel in a post-Christian society. It does have its advantages sometimes, and a lot of you guys have been telling us about that. 888-914-9149. Be right back. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Welcome back to the program, 888-914-9149. We're having a fascinating conversation with you. Lots of great calls today. 888-914-9149. That's the number to call. Use it. Call in right now. I've got a couple lines open, actually. It's a good time to try to get in. 888-914-9149. We're discussing the fact that we're kind of in many ways living in a post-Christian society. A lot of people uh, don't have a religious background, so they're reading the gospel with fresh eyes, and it hits them a little bit different, and they're more open to it. They have less preconceptions to try to influence their thinking, and and it can be kind of an advantage. And uh, we're looking at an article, too, by Ross Douthat of the New York Times, who's, who's a Catholic and opinion writer for the NYT. And he, he wrote this piece about this, about how those who are skeptical about the Gospels and even professional Bible scholars want to try to deconstruct them and say they're, they're not real history. People who read the Gospels naively, who don't have the background going in, they never say stuff like that. They, they're never skeptical about whether or not this is really eyewitness testimony about Jesus. They, they can kind of tell that it is. Douthat says you, you almost have to be skeptical and wanting to tear it down going into reading the Gospels for you to even have that point of view. And he, and he quotes C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis once said this. He said that you can say about the Gospels that they're a form of memoir or you could also try to say that they're an ingenious impersonation of personal testimony that would tax the skills of a brilliant 20th century novelist. And basically what he's saying is, hey, if these are invented stories, these guys are the most brilliant people of all time. I, to create a fictional character like Jesus, uh, you just couldn't do it because uh, the most profound wisdom that's ever been seen on the face of the earth, you'd have to be smarter than Jesus to create a Jesus. Not possible. That's how I take that. But C.S. Lewis said that the reader who thinks that these narratives, the Gospels, are like after-the-fact legend-making, Lewis says these people simply don't know how to read, if you've ever thought that. And, and many people do think that. They think that the church invented this person of Jesus and his life and career much later um, in order to get control of people's lives. No way. Absolutely no way. The fact that, that there are differences among the Gospels, the fact that there are some minor discrepancies here and there, to me, that actually increases my trust in these documents, that they are eyewitness testimonies. I'd be much more concerned if the Gospels were all exactly alike, if they were cut and pasted. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all exactly similar in their wording, how they talk about things. That would speak to collusion. In my mind, that's not what we have here. And so, 
I think I think that's that's a really really important thing that that the later church never tried to harmonize the gospels and take out any uh, apparent contradictions. It's it's really important. And by the way, the fact that there are differences in the way that the the teachings on Jesus and what he said are reported in the gospel that, that's that shows that the the disciples of Jesus learned their lesson really really well. If if they were simply parroting Jesus and quoting him as if you you were recording a speech and playing it back word for word, they would have been bad students of Jesus. Dr. Craig Evans talked about this on the show last week. Here's a little clip. I remember you used to teach us this all the time, that if, if the apostles, if the disciples were parrots, you know, just running everything back like a, like, a, like a robot word for word, they would be considered to be very, very bad rabbinical students of the master, wouldn't they? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Anybody back then, it's less true now, but back then the memories were pretty sharp. It was very much an oral culture. And so to hear someone speak and then simply repeat it, that proves nothing. It just shows, well, yeah. your memory works. And, we, and by the way, we know what we're talking about. We're not guessing because we have educational handbooks yeah. from antiquity. And they talk about how you teach students and how they first memorize so they can repeat mm -hmm. what they heard. Then they prove that they know what they're doing by how they edit the material. They can expand it. They can uh, yeah. abridge it. They can introduce it differently. They can take units of tradition and string them together like pearls. And mm -hmm. that's why the synoptic gospels especially, but also John to some extent, you see it, they look like strings of pearls. Mm -hmm. And that's what they are. These little pearls have been strung together, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't necessarily string them always in the same order. They don't always lump them together and arrange them quite the same way. And they don't always make exactly the same point. But yet they're true to the teaching of Jesus. They're true to his message, what he was trying to say. They're just nuanced, and they're able to apply it in a variety of settings. Yeah, I really like the way that Dr. Evans uh, said that. And you can get the uh, uh, archived podcast of that conversation on the relevant radio app. That was on Friday's show, if memory serves me correctly, Jim. And uh, yes, it was. And so uh, check that out, relevantradio.com and also on the app or wherever you get your podcasts. So I, I like the, the image of pearls on a string, the pearls being events from the life of Christ, and maybe they're rearranged in a different order uh, depending on how they want to present the material. But you can't invent stuff. That was strictly verboten. Can't do that. But when you read them, again, you're getting eyewitness details. For example, Mark's Gospel. It's thought to be the memoirs of Peter, Mark being his scribe. Little details from the life of Peter, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more tomorrow on The Faith Explained because I'll be answering a question that somebody posed about, is the papacy in the Bible? Well, it is, but you also have to understand Peter a little bit, the first pope. And in Mark's gospel, he had these eyewitness details that he would have remembered. He was there in the room when Jesus raises up this dead little girl, brings her back to life, and he uses the Aramaic words, this is the street language that Jesus spoke, Aramaic, he says, little girl, I say to you, arise. In Aramaic, it's Talitha Kumi. Or, or, or when, he, when he opens up the ears of a deaf man, Ephatha, you know, he uses this Aramaic term, and Peter kind of notes this down. Um, Peter's denials, uh, the passion in Mark's gospel, and Ross Dathat mentions this uh, in his article that that you, you get these really, really personal details from Peter about what was going on in the courtyard, his denials, because he did it. He's the one who denied Jesus. There's, by the way, there's a popular burger chain. 
uh, I don't know if it's in the United States, but we, we have it here in Canada. It's called the Burgers Priest, and it was it was created by an ex-seminarian. It's got all these biblically-based burgers, and he's got one called Peter's Denial. Um, he's also got one called the High Priest. It's like the Big Mac. And anyways, I could go on about that, but Peter's Denial was in full effect in, in the Gospel of Mark. But it's different when you read John's Gospel. You get a lot of details about what's going on at the foot of the cross, because guess what? John was there. The others had run away, denied Jesus. What John was there along with Our Lady, along with Mary. So he gets the blood and water. He sees that coming out of the side of Jesus. He sees uh, you know, Jesus say to Mary, woman, here's your son. And to John, son, here is your mother. And from that point on, John says, Mary goes into his home and he takes her under, under his wing. And I'm sure they had many, many conversations about Jesus' life and what he said. And I'm sure that that actually got into John's gospel. There's a, a, a scholar named Michael Pakaluk who, who wrote a book about this, about how Mary's words are kind of in John in some ways. Think about that. Think about the wedding at Cana. Think about the wedding at Cana. When Jesus does that, and, and again, Ross Douthat mentions this as well, it seems strange in some ways. Jesus seems a little irritated. It's not, it's not my hour's not yet come. I, I don't want to do this, but I, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll, I'll do the miracle. Lazarus, uh, he, he lets him die. He waits in t- intentionally because he's going to raise him up from the dead as an object lesson, if you will. But when he gets there, he, he's crying. He's still weeping. It, hang on here. He, isn't this the way you kind of set it up? So this is a real remembrance, as Douthat puts it, of strange events. Whether it's Mary's memory here or John's memory, these are real eyewitness memories. And, and and that is what makes it so, so important. And uh, he mentions a book, and I've got this book on my shelf. It's a really good book. If you really want a deep kind of academic dive into this, there's a book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses by Richard Balcom. He's an English uh, Bible scholar. Really wild book when it came out. Just kind of blew away the field uh, studies in memory and, and, and how these are eyewitness uh, testimonies about Jesus. And they're, they're, they were not made up later by the church. That's not the case. So it's interesting, this whole concept of tr- of reading the Bible naively. Some it's not by choice. They literally don't have the background in the faith that people used to have. Uh, they don't have the formation. So when they read it, it hits them like a ton of bricks in, in its urgency. And, and for those of us that are kind of used to hearing about this all the time, we, we need to kind of shock ourselves a little bit into, uh, out of our complacency. And 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 maybe this has happened to you, 888 Nine one four nine. It's a toll free line to talk to me right now on the Kale Clark Show. Eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. All right. Speaking of the phones, let's go to Anne Marie in Westbrook, Maine. Hi, Anne Marie. Nice to speak with you. Uh, I wanted you to mm-hmm. know that uh, I'm taking a stand for the cradle Catholics. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm good. an elderly woman. I was born 1942 to a very deeply religious French um, uh, Canadian family here in the United States. And it's true, we were not uh, accustomed to reading the Bible. However, we had the rosary mm-hmm. daily, which mm-hmm. brought us through the life of Christ. Yeah. We went to Catholic school uh, from... Uh, Grade school right through high school, I was able to do that. 
uh, I had uh, parents who were uh, exemplary as uh, examples. Uh, I always was encouraged to go to the sacraments. The sisters always encouraged us to bring a missile when we were at Mass, especially when we were getting into the 7th and 8th grades and mm-hmm. so on, because you had the Latin on the left and you had the French or the English on the right. right. And they, they said, you know, just read the French or the English. So I did that. Uh, many of us did that, mm-hmm. and we followed through. And uh, we did get uh, a great knowledge of the Gospels through that. Yeah, and I remember that uh, during the um, uh, when we had the Tridentine Mass, uh, mm-hmm. the last thing the priests uh, would read would be the prologue to Saint John's uh, mm-hmm. Gospel. Mm-hmm. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now French is a very luminous language, so sure I would is. read that in French. And oh, I, uh, I was always struck by that. And to this day, I'm 80 years old. I have always continued. I picked up the Bible, and uh, I've read it for a long time. I continue to read it. Uh, I love the con- the contemplative uh, range that it has, but I've never forgotten those words, and those mm. words still have a very deep imprint on my life. And also, um, I must say that. Uh, The Bible is ever fresh, ever new. It will never get old. It never does. Life may be difficult, but the Gospels will never get old. And Relevant Radio, and particularly your program at 1.30, where uh, we get into the archaeological studies and the background, uh, uh, the historical background of the the historical Jesus, Mm. uh, you add a great deal to someone who is already, who already loves the scriptures, you simply have made it love me more. I never miss your programs, either one of them. So I thank you very much. Oh, Anne Marie, God bless you for saying that. That is very humbling to me. I I, I truly appreciate it if it's helped you in, in your journey. And and I thank you for calling in. Wow, what a what a beautiful phone call. And she made some incredible points about how th- there's such a connection between the Bible and the Mass. Uh, the, the scriptures, of course, their their natural habitat is in the Mass, and, and that's a great place to learn about them. And the Rosary as well. There's biblical roots to the Rosary, of course, as well. It's one of the things we did talk about on The Faith Explained. So catch me then, 1230 Central, tomorrow on The Faith Explained. I'll be back 23 hours from now on The Kale Clark Show. Hey, John San Diego, call back tomorrow. Great question. Sorry we didn't get to it. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alog took your phone calls. God bless everyone. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.